show Everybody, welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Special Mikey. Along with me always is Hindu Anthony. What's up, Buttercup? And Super Vegan Brian. Hola! And our special guest today, Paris Crenshaw. He's a freelance writer and a, a jack of all trades, if you will. I, I like I like that because he does so many really neat things. And we're just we're going to cover that today, and we're going to talk to him. Paris, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thanks, Michael. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. I am a freelance writer. Uh, I do freelance writing, game design. I have several products uh, that I've written for, or I have credits in at least, for Paizo. And uh, also for a couple of other smaller publishers. Uh, most notable among the third-party publishers would be Legendary Games. Uh, but I also have uh, credits from uh, Clockwork Gnome Publishing. Uh, I did some work for Savage Mojo. Uh, and of course, I'm also the uh, the assistant editor in chief for Wayfinder Magazine, which is the fan scene for um, the Pathfinder campaign setting. And I'm also a naval officer, 20 plus year career, father and wife, uh, husband. Yeah, like you said, jack of all trades. Oh, very long list of very wonderful things. And uh, let me just be the first out of all of me and my co-host to say thank you for your service, sir. It means wonder. Thank it means a lot. Yes. Thank, thank you. Very you. Thank you for your we service. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm real glad you have we have you on the call. Uh, truth, when uh, this is honest truth, Brian didn't really describe you to me. He just said I have a person named Paris Crenshaw who wants to be on the show, and I was like, oh, she sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be insulting or anything. And then he goes, yeah, he was in the, he's in the Navy, and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, so. that's that's not uncommon um and unfortunately you know my name it's one of those things i mean if you really go all the way back i mean it was a guy's name way before it was a girl's name the you know the funny thing is that my wife's name is actually helen oh that's uh, awesome oh that's that's really great we we didn't do that on purpose uh but it did happen to work out that way so there was that but yeah i mean i i i've had a lot of fun i guess you would put it with my name for most of my life uh, as you can imagine, it was uh, it was not a name that I actually went with when I was much younger because there were way too many uh, things you could do with that name uh, as a joke uh, at that time. So I uh, but so I went with a nickname, and then when I got into high school, I went back to my full name. But uh, you know, in college, there was one other guy. I went to Virginia Tech. There was one other guy on campus who had a name Paris, and he was a uh, a guy who posed nude for the art department. So you can imagine that that was. Uh, you know, embarrassing from time to time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, poses nude for the art department. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Do I look like I pose nude for the art department? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yes, you do. <laughs> you're like, well, maybe it would be a so. study of sorts. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, good. But yeah, of course, then when, you know, Paris Hilton and you started seeing a lot of, females uh, th those names and that's yeah so it has been a little bit of a item of confusion from time to time uh, I wanted, what was your nickname that you said you said you went by a nickname instead of paris well i went um i went by trey for a good portion of my uh, of my youth uh, I, my full name is paris evans crenshaw the third so trey was kind of a, a take on on the third ah i like that that's neat i, I like people who have who have numbers at the end of their name <laughs> and it doesn't and it's not actually a screen name yeah <laughs> I, I think that's really awesome so but you know i think it's time we we'll, we'll dive more into more about what you do and how you're involved in all the communities that we really love 
But first, we're going to go ahead and play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You? Yay! We're going to go ahead and start with Brian. Um, I um, binged watched Luke Cage. That's a good show. Yeah, I did it Monday after uh, after my crazy day of podcast editing and everything. I spent the entire night watching Luke Cage. I, I need to see that still. I got all my schoolwork done at the last minute this week. <laughs> hey, that's me every all the time. So that's an- that's Anthony every time. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So what do you have to say about Luke Cage real quick? I don't want to talk about it too long because I can go on it forever. I'll just say it was really good. Um, it was a little slow. It was a little slower than the other um, Netflix Marvel. It was a uh, complete different feel than Jessica Jones or Daredevil. Well, I'm sure they're doing a little bit yeah, more. It, had a, it, it has a slow beginning. I'd agree to that. I, I could see that would be because they're trying to do a little bit more of a build, but that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm going to give it a chance because I, I do kind of like the character of Luke Cage. So I'm going to uh, when I watch it, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to take that into mind. I think the character was too invincible to really have a exciting action scenes. Yeah, it's, it'd be really rough to give him scenes because he's got unbreakable skin. I mean, in yeah. Jessica Jones, he takes a shotgun to the face. Well, yeah, he has the the what I like to call the Superman condition of he's too powerful, so it removes any form of stakes from his story. Yeah, yeah. So he has really no threat. Anthony, what's your nerdy thing? Well, I, I've still been gaming, but I have something different. I actually started like a broad outline of my project. I will be starting... Next month for NaNoWriMo. Nice. Doing the prep work for the prep work for a rough draft that will be written next month. And in case any of our listeners, this is their first of our podcast are listening to, NaNoWriMo is National Write a Novel Month. And all three of us are trying to win it this year. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm writing a book about bees. Bees? No, not really. <laughs> the Honey Games. Uh, the Honey Games. <laughs> yeah, right. The Honey Games. Uh, <laughs> dude, I still think you should do it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just see those little bumblebees characters sitting there. No, we're going to make it through this. We're going to be great. We'll have two queens this year. And that's whenever oh, one, of, one of them runs up and stings the other bee and she dies. <laughs> no. And she's just like this. Like, and she's like, for some reason, only has one arm. Oh my gosh. I'm going to uh, keep, keep on badgering you about it until it turns into fiction. Into a thing that he actually does. <laughs> uh, originally, I was going to do like a sci-fi fantasy type thing, but then I decided, you know what? Too many people go into the sci-fi slash fantasy realm. I'm going to go with a more realistic, probable story. So I'm going to be doing like a, a fictional story based in real reality and things that could actually happen. And I'm going to write a story about a father who lost a child. I wonder where I got that idea from. Oh, and yeah. He turns to alcoholism to deal with the problems. Anthony, and tell it's, us it's just going to be a giant story of, of this man's life just spiraling downwards into a deep despair. And, and you get to see whether or not he makes it or not. I'm writing a supernatural mystery about a man named Ballard that turns into deep psychological turns where he's stuck in a void within his own mind. That sounds Ooh. Actually, I, I've been I, working on it for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> as, has, as has every other person who writes a novel. <laughs> nice. Paris, what's the nerdiest thing you did this week? 
Well, you know, as I was in, I was listening to some of the other episodes and I was actually nervous because I didn't think I was going to have anything. Uh, <laughs> I've mentioned that um, that I, I haven't hadn't been to see very much or hadn't uh, hadn't been binge watched many shows recently. Um, but I did actually end up coming up with one on uh, Saturday uh, because um, I ended up. Uh, well, it was kind of a nerd disaster, I think is probably the best way to put it. I've had a nerd um, freak out, so you're fine. Yeah, well, this one was I burned dinner and destroyed a silicone oven mitt because we went to see Miss Peregrine's uh, home for peculiar children on Friday night. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I um, we uh, we enjoyed the, sh- the movie. It was it was a good movie. Um, but on Saturday, um, I had mentioned to someone about the fact that I thought it pushed the bounds of PG thirteen a little bit, um, and I was trying to explain to them in what way because as parents probably often want to know, you know, it's one thing to say it's pushing it in terms of adult content or that kind of stuff. This one was the monsters were, and some of the content was a little scarier. I probably should have known that based on the fact that it's a Tim Burton movie, you know, but it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was okay for our kids. They're 14, but um, for some of the younger, you know, younger minded 13, 13 year olds, I could see where it would be pretty intense. And so I was explaining that and the monsters and I was describing the monsters that were in it. And I'm like, man, I really need to do pathfinder stats for these things. And so I immediately started taking notes, um, going back to scenes from the movie to figure out based on interactions with other, I'm trying not to do spoilers, but based on interactions with other characters and with certain combat scenes and that kind of stuff, trying to figure out what the challenge rating for us, one of these monsters would be, and then making sure I had the notes so that I didn't forget it for later on. And all this time I was supposed to be taking food off the stove, ended up (laughs) burning food. And then in the process of trying to clean the pan, I grabbed hold of the pan um, next to the burner while I was wearing a silicone oven mitt and found out that silicone does actually burn in a way, uh, which is really interesting. It turns directly to white ash. It doesn't actually catch on fire. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) So, yeah, it was uh, like I said, it was it was a nerd induced disaster that that's. That's pretty nerdy. You you killed an oven mitt and burnt food for your family because you wanted to write stats for character. That okay, yeah, that's pretty nerdy. Stats <laughs> for characters in a movie. Yeah, I like this guy. It's okay. I, I've I've done it before. I'm not. Have you played Undertale? I'm sure Brian's already watched Undertale. I did. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. I uh, I don't. I, I my my kids play it actually, so I hear plenty of stories. As a matter of fact, I've, both of them, uh, one in particular, is writing fan fiction for it. On a regular basis. <laughs> so I actually wanted to make a Pathfinder character based on one of the Undertale characters. <laughs> and Which I, one? And I, I was a while back. I was trying to figure out, like, what race would she be and what class? Uh, Undyne. Okay. Yeah, I think she'd be an uh, awesome Pathfinder character. I just don't know which class or race. Race, uh, I guess, orc, but. I've already been working on a on a, um, a villain based on Flowey. <laughs> <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's that's actually pretty cool. I think Flowey would fit really well into a Lovecraftian adventure. Oh, oh, yeah. oh definitely. Very well, very well. Where Flowey shows up and he's like, you think you can beat me because you got enough experience to go to the next level, but I can also do that. <laughs> yeah, that whole meta thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Guys, straight up, just just roll dice to see what happens. Just, just, <laughs> just start fucking with your... He with makes your you eight. re-roll and... You'd have to do a you'd have to do a meta thing that like yeah you'd have to do a total meta thing that like as the characters go to roll their dice all of a sudden like you kick the table and it's like oh no what happened 
<laughs> existential crisis. <laughs> oh, that would. Oh man, make that character because I I'd play that game. I'd play that round. Ah, so, uh, so. I'm this. You know, my vote's for Paris. To be honest. Yeah, my vote's for Paris. Yeah, I think that's cool. I like Paris's too. And anybody destroying dinner. <laughs> Anyone destroying dinner? I I was intrigued by the that the fact that he actually was interested in the chemistry of the the silicon mitt burning into at into white ash he didn't like i guarantee he wasn't like oh my gosh dinner he was just looking at it like turned to ash he goes this is the coolest thing ever <laughs> there's multiple layers of nerd in here yeah by the way i should probably take this off before i get horribly burned <laughs> <laughs> well that was the whole thing i mean i didn't feel it it was like all of a sudden i noticed that there was this white stuff on next to the pan i'm like what is oh that's not good <laughs> Oh, we're saved by our curiosity. Nerds get saved by curiosity quite a bit. Curiosity did not kill the Paris. <laughs> not today. Except uh, unlike the cat. Poor cat. The cat's never coming back. Yeah, and, well, I mean, if it's, um, what is it for the cat? Um, Schrodinger's cat? I mean, we, he might come back. We don't know if he's if, he, if curiosity really killed it till we opened the box. Well, he's come back and he hasn't come back at the same time. Until I open the door, he hasn't come back. Oh well, I asked this dog one time if he had heard of a guy named Pavlov. He said, rung a bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I refuse to laugh at that. <laughs> hey, you want to hear a really sad story about the Pavlov's dogs thing? What? Okay, so I guess in the original like uh, experiment of Pavlov's dogs, what they did is they actually like drilled holes in the dog's cheeks so they could watch the dog salivate. Ah. And now it's not funny anymore. Yep. Now that is forever going to be a sad thing for you all. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> yeah, on that horrible note, uh, let's just go ahead and not talk about Pavlov's dog anymore and how <laughs> these people are horrible. Horrible? Oh, gosh. Hey, everybody. We just wanted to take a quick minute to promote one of our friends' projects. We'll be back right after this. Hey, people of the interwebs, this is Brandon Noel, cartoonist and self-publisher with Destiny Comics. For the month of October, we have an incredible Kickstarter running, Those Meddling Kids. It's a horror survival comic that you never knew you wanted in your life. It features the iconic Hanna-Barbera stereotypes from the 60s, and we pay homage to every single one of those cartoons from the Mystery Gang to uh, Jabberjaw, and, and it's a, uh, a horror-themed romp that uh, celebrates those cartoons from that company while putting a darker spin on the events. So uh, I hope you have a great Halloween, and please support local comic shops and local comics. Thank you. So, it's time to find out where we sent our brave noble field reporter, Anthony. Where, where are we at this week? Well, this was actually your request, Michael. We fired up the official Nerd Podcast Radio, radio Extra Dimensional Portal again, and we have sent Anne and Anthony to the capital of Penham to find out what it's like since they've abolished the Hunger Games. Ooh, yeah, this, this should be good. So, and yeah, Anthony, how is it over there right now, you know? Well, it's not better. It's not better. Yeah, apparently all the all the people who were at the bottom kind of like went up and, re- and like kind of made a, ma- a massive group and wanted to get revenge at the uh, against all the people in the capital. So like, have you ever seen Hotel Rwanda? Oh, bro. Yeah, kind of like that. That that's not good. That's not good at all. So like horrible dismemberments. Oh, it you know just all the people of the capital are being slaughtered. It's actually very terrible. Well, uh, what about you? You're not dressed very capitally, are you? You're, are no, you that's, that shit off right away when I realized what was going on. 
ha- have the whereabouts of Katniss been verified, or is she still off the grid? You know, that one is is a strange one. Uh, a lot of people say that they see her, that they've seen her, but no one's actually like really laid too many eyes on her. I- I'm guessing she's off the grid somewhere in the forest. In the forests with her so, two boyfriends. She could this entire <laughs> this entire bit was a gamble because I didn't know if Anthony had actually seen Hunger Games or read the books. <laughs> I, <don't think laughs> I read the books. Uh, but you're there. You're at the capital of Panem. You're you're trying to hold it together. Just d- don't look too capitally, and you will see you when you get back, man. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, one real quick question. You know, in in the in the event of the Hunger Games are over and. You know, what are the people from the districts like doing for entertainment now? Do they have some sort of tabletop game now or? Um, well, as I said, you know, them attacking the people in the capital, they they like to do like almost a reverse hunger games on them where where they take someone and they put them in like a part of the city and then they play like a version of hide and seek. But it's more, more like find them, but it's more like hide and we kill you. Hide <laughs> and We kill you. Wow. So that place is getting uh, quite feral over there. So hopefully you make it back. Um, if you don't, we'll make sure your replacement's really nice. Yeah, who would have thought that the president <laughs> of, of Pan Am was actually keeping things relatively under control, kind of? Well, when you threaten to murder people's kids <laughs> once a year. I mean, come on. It's just, just how it goes. I didn't expect Hamish to stand step up to become president. I mean, it was just not someone I would have expected to take leadership. Yeah, but he's not a very good president. He's just drunk all the time, so he's, <laughs> he's not even doing anything about any of this shit. He's literally just hiding out in the corner like, all I need is you, Vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this joke has gone on long enough. (laughs) We've gone on long enough. We've gone on far too long. I want to dive into who is Paris Crenshaw, because I want to know this guy. He sounds amazing. So, Paris, so... What got you into, you know, the world of, of, of gaming and writing and everything? Like, what, what brought you your nerdy? <laughs> um, I, I, well, I mean, I think I, I was born to it for some reason. Um, I, my first experience with, uh, with gaming, I mean, I, I was, uh, I guess it was back in, gosh, I was back in very early eighties. Um, I was probably 10 ish. I stayed with some uh, neighbors down the street. Both my parents worked and it was kind of a babysitter situation in the afternoons. Um, And we would spend the afternoons wandering around the woods behind their house. And it, you know, we were on Dagobah. We were in the jungles of South America. You know, we we were doing the whole play pretend thing and uh, had a lot of fun with that. One of my friends introduced us to this really weird game called Dungeons and Dragons. We had this box. I still don't remember what color it was. I want to say it was a light blue box, but but all I remember was it was this really weird thing where we made up these characters and uh, rolled dice and all of a sudden we had killed a white dragon and it was really cool. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is fascinating. I, I really enjoyed this. And over the next couple of years, we played all sorts of different games. We played uh, Top Secret and Boot Hill and Star Frontiers and all these really fun settings and making characters and going on adventures and all these weird places. And it really grabbed me. But for some reason, and I don't really know why, uh, looking back on it, why I never asked my parents to buy me these things, but I never actually got sets of my own. So when we moved away, I kind of got away from it for a brief period until uh, a friend and I discovered, I don't know if you remember a series of novels by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hitman called the, uh, the Dark Sword Trilogy. I don't um, think I've read it, but it sounds familiar. 
Yeah, it wasn't one of their most acclaimed settings. It was uh, it was a concept where um, a magic rich world, pretty much everybody could do magic um, except for like this one guy, the main character of the story, and he happened to have a sword that absorbed magic. It was it was you know he he was kind of a pariah. They had this whole series, and then they did another book where they was kind of a gazetteer of the world, and in the back they had rules for a role playing game set in this world. And so we kind of fiddled around with those rules and then eventually made our way back to Dungeons and Dragons with second edition. And that was really when the bug bit me hard. So we played through high school, friend and I basically taking turns. That was when I really started realizing that I loved creating <coughs> game content. That's, uh, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying that that's really cool uh, that you were, that you guys actually switched off doing the DM. Cause I know usually a, in a lot of groups, when one person becomes the the DM, they usually are the DM for they're, they're like that's it. Yeah, yeah. For like ever. <laughs> well, I think it was a situation where you know he and I both loved the same kind of thing, and it was more of it wasn't a hey I'm tired of doing this it's your turn. It was more of hey I have an idea for a story let's do this, and so that was more of why we we traded off you know and we had a, a relatively small group. A lot of our, our sessions, we ended up doing a lot of one-on-one straight-up role-playing sessions where we would play, you know, from 9 o'clock at night until 3 in the morning and maybe roll dice two or three times because we got really immersed in the characters. And wow. uh, it was, it, you know, it was it was, you know, it was a lot of deep storytelling, probably some, uh, uh, I don't know, teenage uh, angst issues being worked out through characters in some cases. But, but we had a lot of fun with it. And there were times where, you know, we would do things, you know, we had characters that we played for the over the course of about three or four years, uh, the same characters. It was really awesome. One time my friend was running an adventure and it was one of these time traveling adventures. And, and our characters went back to the point where our characters had met because, of course, our enemies were going to go and destroy us before we came. We became powerful. It, he was describing a scene uh, in which my character was battling an enemy on the roof of a building. And he was talking about how uh, you can remember now your younger self walking out of a building and noticing these flashes of light. I was a mage, uh, these flashes of light and, and noises coming from a rooftop nearby and out of character. I had a brief moment where I thought, Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and it was, it was this really weird meta thing where I, I just, I, 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 I was as though I had suddenly remembered something that had never actually happened. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing this for a long. Now this was AD and D second edition, so I could assume there was no miniatures. Uh, there were there were not many. Uh, no, we 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 had a big map where we would kind of put dice out to show relative positions and that kind of stuff, but it was very free form in terms of combat. Yeah, I started in second edition myself, and I remember it being very immersive. It was. You didn't have the disconnect that you do when you have a map on the table with minis down. I agree. Um, you know, and that that is one of those things that you know a lot of my friends, uh, you know, from that time frame still really, really love Second Edition, and I just haven't. You know, I moved away from it and got heavily involved in Third Edition when it came out, and so it was one of those things. I don't have anything against Second Edition. It's just I haven't played it in so long, and I, I didn't have the same strong connection to it that a lot of folks still do. Well, my first my first go around was third edition, so and I I enjoy, I enjoyed third edition. I I think I did like a one shot with fourth, and it it, it I, I didn't fall in love with it. Yeah, I was, fourth wasn't that great. 
I, I had the same kind of experience. I gave it a chance. It just, it didn't grab me. It, it didn't, it didn't have the same feel, you know, and, and again, it goes back to one of the things like the, the story about the, the monsters from Miss Peregrine. You know, I, I love being able to look at something and figure out how to make it work within the rules and third edition uh, with the D20 system being based the way it was, I found that it was much easier to do that for a lot more, for a lot of different scenarios as opposed to uh, some of the other rule systems and certainly more than, than fourth edition, in my opinion. It's just, but it's a matter of preference, I think. Fifth edition has been really good. I've liked fifth edition quite a lot. I have too. I still haven't had an opportunity to play it. Paris, really? I have the I have the core book. You have the core book for five? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, I I, I was just reading. I, I was reading online excerpts from it and uh, watching people play it. And, it and, and so far, you know, the way they have it constructed, I like it. And it's very uh, malleable. Now, Paris, did you just continue your pro- progression in gaming from second edition and onward? Or did you ever have a gap? Um, I, I, well, I mean, we, of course, high school went to college. Uh, most of my friends, we all went in different directions. Um, at the time, there was this really weird thing that was emerging called the internet. We had um, these online chat things. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Genie. Uh, that may have been a little bit before the. Uh, wow, I, don't know. I haven't heard of that. Okay, yeah, it was uh, General Electric actually uh, came out with their with a, an online um, uh, chat program it was basically a dial-up thing and you can you know it was all sorts of different chat rooms and stuff and we actually ran games over that uh for a period of time in college and my sophomore year um i got a job working at a hobby store in blacksburg virginia Uh, i went to virginia tech like i said and that was kind of where i started working my way into the writing side of things we uh the store you know obviously i was exposed to a lot more different games uh so i got interested in um the the master book system from west end games uh that was where i got exposed to uh the white wolf so the storyteller system uh in its early days obviously faza had um uh, Shadowrun, their earlier editions, and then they came out with another setting called Earth Dawn, which was a little bit of a different rule system based in the same world, but in a different age. So I got exposed to a lot of different things. And then through my boss at the store, um, I was invited to join a gaming group. We basically rotated through game. For a few weeks, we'd play a game. Somebody would, when that adventure was over, we'd go to a different system. I got to see how a lot of different games worked and what different ones felt like compared to what I was originally used to with Dungeons and Dragons and, and how the different, how the games really helped tell the stories that were being, you know, based on whatever setting you were using. That sounds like a cool idea to just play all the different, uh, role-playing games. Cause there's a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And if you can get a group that does it, you know, that, that works well and is agreeing to do it that way, it, it works out really well. So at what point in your gaming saga did you get into professional writing? But started then, actually decide again, it was the game designer in me coming out. I wanted to write stuff, uh, and I, I, I had these ideas for uh, characters and weapons and items, and there was a little journal uh, for the Earthdawn role-playing game, actually. That was my first writing credits called the Earthdawn Journal, and I, got, uh, I submitted a couple of articles to that and was published in those. At the time, I was reading a series of novels by Brian Lumley called the Necroscope series, 
And oh, I'm very familiar with those. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't, you probably should pick those up because uh, Lumley is very much into the Lovecraft mythos. And um, and those particular series, although they weren't specifically Lovecraftian, um, a lot of good horror. And anyway, so I had read those series and, and it turned out that West End Games had the license to uh, to do Necroscope role-playing supplements using their Masterbook system. I started pestering West End Games because I wanted to write material for them. You know, I'd never really had anything big published before, so but I bugged them and bugged them, and I said, you know, I'm, I know this setting really well. I can do, and, and I want to do the world source book for where the vampires come from. And they oh, said, well, cool. we, we've got and they said we've got an author that's already doing that i said okay well that you know okay got it thanks and i uh i I don't know i don't know what caused me to do it but later on i went back and bugged them again just to see if they had anything else and they said oh well it looks like that author has fallen through he didn't come through on it and so they offered me the chance to do the book this was toward the end of my um my college career i had finished up initial training as an officer in the navy and i had about a month of leave that i was allowed to take and i took that month and i wrote um the the vampiri homeworld source book sent it off to them and it completely disappeared shortly after i turned it over to them west end games went bankrupt and closed their doors sold off all their licenses or handed them back to the original owners and my book was never published. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know how people would have liked it or not, but it, it was, that was my first writing experience was I wrote a 64 page source book as my first, you know, major freelance piece that was never published. Oh yeah. I I love doing it because I mean, I went through and took notes on all the novels and made sure that everything fit and you know, it was great. I had a great time writing it. And it was good experience, but I never really got any feedback on it. Um, oh, I know how you feel. Like, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this conversation a couple times before, but like whenever I write characters for any RPG, any RPG is like my characters have to have giant like 10 page background stories explaining their life before I ever play them. <laughs> He's no. good at the mini novel. <laughs> I, can, I can relate kind of specifically. My first writing experience was writing for a small third party company that was just kind of starting. And they published their first book and decided to put everything I wrote in their second book. And the company died right before the second book came out. Oh, my God. It's a gut punch. (laughs) It really is. To be that close to actually being like, your stuff is in there. It's like, yeah, we're going to publish it. And then I was like, okay, sorry, we're we're closing the books down. (laughs) Oh, the worst. The worst was when they were like, we're not using any of this in the first book, but we're going to use everything you wrote and give you another and give you another um, 10,000 words in the second book. And then the company disappeared without a whisper. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, bro. I really feel your pain, Paris. That is rough. How did, well, where did you move on? Where did you move on to with from there with writing? Well, from there, I, um, uh, I, I did have that lull that you talked about. Um, I went, my first tour was on the USS Independence out of Yokosuka, Japan. And uh, the, there really wasn't, a gaming community specifically for officers in general. I mean, uh, you know, the military, um, there, there are significant restrictions and guidelines with respect to fraternization and, and socializing with enlisted people. And, and the vast majority of the gamers that you hear about, at least for a long time, 
in the military or enlisted folks. Um, so I really didn't think I had a community that I could turn to when I went to, uh, to my first ship and didn't really tell anybody that I was a gamer at that point. It wasn't, a, you know, being a geek wasn't, wasn't in at that point, obviously. I didn't share that part of myself. I continued to do some stuff and play around with ideas and that kind of thing. I had gotten really heavily invested in the Deadlands role-playing game. That was primarily because I got to be one of the playtesters for the initial rules. Well, it, Shane Hensley, the creator of Deadlands, was part of our rotating gaming group. So he used our oh. group as the means to uh, to play test his games. And so that was that was a lot of fun seeing how that was made and, and seeing how some of it changed. And, and I mean, it, Blacksburg was a weird place. There's these little nexus of 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 gaming personalities that I've found. You know, Blacksburg, Shane Hensley lived there. Charles Ryan lived there. Uh, Hal Mangold, uh, who does a lot of art uh, direction. I think he does art direction for Savage Mojo, or at least he did. Uh, there are these, you know, these names that are out there that uh, that have been involved with the gaming industry for a long time. A good friend of mine who was my boss at the, the gaming store, uh, Angel McCoy, did a lot of writing for uh, the Storyteller System. And then... Um, uh, is actually now working for ArenaNet, making uh, stories and stuff for the Guild Wars 2 game. Like I said, this weird place is that, that things pop up and you hear about it. Uh, San Diego and, and you know Southern California is another place where you see uh, a really tight-knit community of people that are that is kind of cropping up as well, of, of writers and designers. And of course, obviously, Seattle is, is where a lot of folks end up or, or tend to come from as well. But the bottom line is that there really wasn't much for me in Japan. So I kind of stuck to reading and, and doing my own thing. And then uh, my second tour was in Hawaii. That was when I, I got into another gaming group. Third edition came out and I said, I really want to start playing again. Got the rules, found a gaming group uh, through a, uh, not really a social network, but basically through a, you know, a personals ad type thing. Um, and we Lead played wizard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was, and so we played there for you know when I was stationed there for about two or three years. Um, and were you on a ship there at that time? So yeah, uh, so yeah, my second ship was the USS Reuben James. Uh, it was a frigate. Uh, we called it the world famous Reuben James because uh, not only was there a song written about the original namesake of, of Reuben James, but it was also the, the, the Reuben James that I was on was also featured as one of the ships in the Hunt for Red October. As one of the ships that was hunting, should have called that ship Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> was, uh, cool. it was. It was a good ship. I mean, I went from driving a, a carrier. I mean, I learned to drive ships on a, on an uh, aircraft carrier, and then went to driving a, a frigate. So it was kind of like learning to drive a bus, and then getting to drive a Ferrari. That's what I was going to ask if it was like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was exactly like that. <laughs> That's really cool. I, 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 I'm very interested in, in naval ships, so specifically the carriers. I, I really enjoy them. So we might slip into that later. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where the day leads us. Like, so you're, you're still in Hawaii at this point? No, I'm actually in San Diego. San Diego. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, no, I mean, at this was, point in the story. Oh, I'm sorry. At this point in the story. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so from, yeah. Um, so from San Diego, yeah, from Hawaii, um, uh, I went to um, the Naval Postgraduate School at Monterey. There was a, and that was where I realized, holy crap, there are lots of officers who are also gamers. Um, and it kind of opened up my eyes to uh, a lot of different options. We had a gaming group that was pretty much all officers, a couple of civilians. Uh, that was a regular gaming group. Great guy that lived next door to me that had his own campaign setting. And we had a blast. With, um, and uh, and then while I was there, while Wizards of the Coast did their uh, design a setting contest. I don't know if you guys remember that. 
Um, that, that was when um, oh Baker won that one. When, exactly. That, that's where Eberron came from, right? Um, and I, of course, did a submission for that. Um, it, what's really fascinating to me um, is the the con. You know, you run into it as you do more design. You run into this concept of parallel design, um, where you know you have an idea and as you're writing it, somebody else is publishing it. Um, there are so many concepts from, from Eberron that are almost identical to things that I designed and submitted. Uh, it, it's kind of fascinating how those kinds of things come along. Um, obviously he did it better than I did because he won. Um, but, uh, but it was kind of neat to see some of those things where I, I can, you know, I feel, I feel vindicated that at least some of the things that I thought were cool, somebody else thought were cool and were, you know, managed to get out there. What's his okay. full name? Uh, Keith Baker, right? Keith Baker. I, I believe so. I want to give a quick shout out. A friend podcast of ours, No Direction, interviewed him. So listeners, if you want to check out, um, learn more about Keith Baker, if we're getting the name right, um, search through um, No Direction's old podcast and you can find an interview him. He also designed the Gloom card game. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Sorry, Paris. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, so yeah, so that that was kind of where I started looking at the uh, the, the whole design thing and world creating, world building. Um, eventually, came to San Diego. Uh, I was stationed. I think uh, you know, I, I I did more playing and and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then um, the writing really kicked off. I went to uh, this was a couple tours later. I was on the USS Boxer uh, LHD four out of San Diego and we were on deployment and um, a lady by the name of uh, Liz Quartz, who, you know, folks familiar with Paizo probably are familiar with her name, sent out this notification about this weird thing called Wayfinder that they were going to do. They were collecting articles for um, a magazine that they were going to put together to publish for PaizoCon. What's Wayfinder, Paris? Wayfinder. Uh, is a magazine. Uh, it, we call it uh, by fans for fans. Um, it is a fanzine uh, that we uh, publish uh, twice a year. One issue is a PDF only issue, and then the other issue we print copies of for um, distribution for free to attendees at PaizoCon uh, in Seattle. Uh, PaizoCon is, of course, uh, the the fan uh, convention for uh, fans of Paizo. Uh, in the Pathfinder role-playing game up in Seattle. And Wayfinder was kind of, it started off as just kind of this idea of uh, something to accompany the schedule. Liz Quartz and a friend of hers, uh, Hugo Solis, uh, who does a lot of really great art for a variety of companies, um, got together and decided they were going to do this. It was going to have art. It was going to be kind of a, a love letter to the, the staff at Paizo, thanking them uh, for the work that they put into Pathfinder uh, by showing them the things that their fans came um, and that was, I think, back in 2009. And uh, so now we are, no, 2007. This is when it started. It was when PaizoCon actually started. But uh, it was around 2009 when Wayfinder really started getting going. And I said, I want to do some stuff. So I wrote a little bit of fiction, got that submitted. And at the time, it was they were just accepting everything they could get. Um, it was a boon for me. But uh, I, I wrote a couple of pieces of fiction. And then I had a couple of issues where I said, I don't really, I don't really have anything that, that I'm inspired to write. But I want to keep doing some stuff, so I offered to edit for the magazine. And being on that side of things really changes your perspective. Being able to look at other people's work and figure out how to help them make it better um, is something that a writer really has to be able to develop. Started working on on that, did more of the editing, and every once in a while, I would, something would strike my fancy, and I would submit an article for publication. 
and eventually got noticed enough that when I told the folks at Paizo that I would like to do some writing for them, they said, okay, well, you know, we've got some ideas and they started sending me small submissions and or small assignments and those went well and I got more. That's kind of where I am today. It's just kind of built on itself from there. What, um, what are some of the things you've written in for Paizo? Um, for Paizo, I have done, uh, let's see, I did a couple of, uh, let's see, a, a couple of things in, uh, started off with the player companion line, uh, initially fates and pantheons, melee tactics toolbox. I have some stuff in after I did the companion, the player's companion stuff, I, I got to do some stuff in the campaign setting line. Um, and one of the ones that I'm most proud of talking about the ships, Michael is, uh, I got to do uh, ships of the inner sea. I got to do two sections for that. So that was a lot of fun being able to apply some of my nautical knowledge to the, the role-playing game world. It was a lot of fun. So I got to do the, the Chelish uh, warship and then uh, an Andoran, the, the, the Great Corsair ship. So, uh, and then... Uh, that is most, really awesome. It was great. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Mark Moreland uh, has been really cool about giving me stuff that, that just always grabs me. I also, and most recently uh, for Paizo, my, my latest publication, I did The Plane of Air in Planes of Power. I, I enjoyed your writing in um, The Occult Bestiary. Oh, yes. Yeah, I got to do I got to do the Yithian Elder and uh, the, the Neolithid Overlord. Yeah, those were, those were fun. That was kind of a... An intimidating, particularly the Yidian, being such an iconic Lovecraftian creature, it uh, it was. I was nervous about taking that one on, but I, I had fun doing it. Do you have ambitions to um, write in one of the adventure paths? Eventually, um, you know, my problem right now is, uh, you know, with work, family, home, all the other stuff that I've got going on. I have to be very careful about the assignments that I take on, um, and an adventure path uh, adventure. First of all. You know, you have to prove yourself as an adventure writer, and Paizo in particular uses their Pathfinder Society scenarios, uh, and of course their Pathfinder Quests is another way to get in as a uh, as an initial writer for them uh, for writing the adventure side, adventure material side of things. But you know, I, I actually did write a Pathfinder Society scenario. Um, it was incredibly challenging. Uh, there, you know, you have to be willing and able to work on a very tight timeline. You don't always get a whole lot of feedback because of their uh, of their schedule. Which scenario so, did you write? Um, I did um, the um, Vengeance at Sundered Crag, uh, which I admittedly got very mixed reviews. You um, wrote that? I wrote that one. I did was, not notice your name on that. I had one of the most <clears throat> times I'd ever had playing that. <laughs> when Brian said you wrote that, on that, I'm going to make a note. Brian, it's funny when you said you wrote that. I expected that to go one of two ways of, man, that was a really great scenario, or my <laughs> God, you killed my character, you dick. <laughs> I, well, oddly I, enough, that's how this that's how the critiques went. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know our listeners are gonna ask. I played my grappler in that, and I played with a number of other power gamers. And I'm not gonna say we wiped the floor with that scenario. Um, but no, we wiped the floor with that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Your scenario was too easy, Paris. <laughs> Get me. Yeah, here. <laughs> there, there were, well, there were aspects of that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that's challenging as, as someone that was my first scenario, um, admittedly. Um, and, and there were things that I tried to do, um, that I learned I was, I was using too many sources. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, th th there's a director's cut, I guess you could put it, um, that, that I've been promising a couple of folks that I would play, where it does get a little meaner. Unfortunately, I was not aware of certain guidelines that Paizo has about, you know, how many sources you're supposed to be using for individual characters or within a specific, within a single scenario. Uh, trying to keep things easier for a GM to run without having to look through seven or eight different things. I, I was a little bit of a noob at that point and didn't heed to that. And so some of the things that I thought were really cool and would make things tough just had to be cut for space and a variety of other reasons. So it, it wasn't not to criticize Paizo because they're the guys that are in charge and they, they really know what they're doing, but it wasn't exactly what I wrote. And so um, while I, I, I take full blame for some of the things that were in there, not everything was exactly as I'd intended it to be either. You hmm. you hear that with every adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why you have developers. Their job is to make sure that everything falls in line with what with what the company wants to put out. That that's very true. But I would like to see this director's cut. <laughs> <laughs> this, this sounds like a very interesting mod, uh, not module scenario that I, I think I would like to to take a whack at one day. It's high level. It, yeah, it is high level. And, and what's, honestly, uh, what's the level requirement? Uh, nine to eleven, I believe. Seven okay. to eleven. All right, so I'm gonna have to play some games. Get John going. I'll have to get I'll have to get John books a couple levels up. Yeah, because I think he's at five right now. So I I was wondering though, you know, li listening to you, Paris. Uh, what if you know one of our listeners just sat there and said, "Man, writing for gaming is really interesting. How would what would be your advice to them to get started?" Well, uh, first and foremost, um, I would say uh, one of the things, the best things you can do is um, find places where you can get your, your work out there. You know, all of us, as, as those of us who are GMs in particular, but even those of us, you know, as, as Anthony said, with the work that he does with his characters, I mean, we're all kind of writers at heart anyway. Um, we create content just by the nature of being players or GMs. And so the first hurdle is recognizing that on some level, you're already doing part of the work. The other piece is, is just, it, you know, committing to doing something uh, and, and getting it submitted. Uh, Wayfinder is a great way to do that, even if you're not 100% uh, committed to the Pathfinder campaign setting. Um, it is a good way to get yourself involved in the writing process uh, and getting something published. So, you know, we do themed issues that kind of narrow down what your options are. Cause I think a lot of times people have these ideas that, you know, I want to write something y you get focused on, I want to write my thing. But one of the things that you quickly learn as a freelance writer is that um, with rare exceptions, you're not, you're not going to be writing your thing. You're going to be writing what you're told to write. So learning how to work within a theme or within a topic is a valuable skill for somebody who wants to be a freelance writer taking pleasure in, in using someone else's cues and turning that into something awesome that is still your own is, is one of my favorite things about being a freelance writer. Does it take a lot of reading and research? It depends. Um, I think that, um, you know, for me, when, particularly when it comes to Paizo, I, I already know the setting pretty well. The Pathfinder Wiki is incredibly helpful in terms of for things that I don't really know or I'm not really sure about. Even if the wiki doesn't have everything, it at least tells me where to look for it. So, I mean, I do quite a bit of research. A lot of my writing time, I'd say about at least a good 40 to 50% of my writing time is spent uh, conceptualizing. And, and a lot of that is based on stuff that I read and go through and make sure that I've got 
that everything's in line with what the canon already has in place. When you were saying uh, you want to write your thing, but you don't really get to write your thing, it just reminds me of the old saying, you know, subject to the service uh, requirements of the service, pretty much. Yeah. Is it true, you know, if you write there long enough, you, you can sneak some of your own things in there? Oh, absolutely. And that's that's kind of, you know, that's the, the whole planes of power aspect of things. I mean, that was one of the first times where I really got to contribute new stuff to, to canon, you know, as opposed, you know, because they, they'll, they'll well, you get a, you'll get an assignment and the assignment will say, we want you to write, you know, this chapter, X number of words. It's going to be broken down this way. These are some things that we want you to include and then come up for, with some stuff on your own. And so, you know, I got to I got to introduce some things that I thought were fun that that would be, you know, that I thought would be cool role playing hooks. I got to expand on things that were just touched on in other places. You know, I think the the coolest one for me was uh, was being able to go back to uh, the Adventure Path Reign of Winter. There is a very small reference uh, where it says in Baba Yaga's hut. With a certain combination of items, you can transport yourself to a place called the Storm of Fangs. I was like, well, what is that? Just so happened that one of the things that they're talking about, you know, that we talk about in Plane of Air is that there are these mega storms that are just constantly churning in various parts of the plane. And it turns out that the Storm of Fangs is one of the biggest and most deadly places uh, on the Plane of Air uh, as one of these storms. So being able to tie, you know, find those little nuggets from that are scattered around that somebody else came up with and just tossed a name out there and then being able to flesh it out a little bit more was awesome. Yeah, it does that, sound pretty cool. I, I like finding like little niche things and being able to f- find the expansions for them. I, I, that's really neat. Now I want to dig into the nitty gritty of, of freelance writing. You had mentioned earlier that you reached out to Paizo and let them know you were interested. How did you do that? Uh, I actually got to do it primarily by going to PaizoCon, going and seeing the people in person. Um, in particular, PaizoCon is uh, is unique uh, in that you actually get an opportunity to see the people that work there. They're open to a lot of different other ways of communicating, but being able to talk to them face to face is really the best way to go about it because they're they're great people. They're always happy to talk to you, um, assuming they're not rushing off to a a seminar or something else that they've got to be doing. Initially, you know, the the earlier PaizoCons, they were smaller. Um, it was a little bit easier. I mean, my first PaizoCon, I got there late. Uh, I, I was actually missed the first day, got there late on the second, uh, on the, uh, at the end of the first day, went down to the hotel restaurant bar area uh, to get a little food because uh, my flight had come in so late I hadn't had time to eat. And I, uh, Ended up sitting down with Jason Bullman and Sean K. Reynolds, listening to them talk about games for an hour and a half and drinking way more beers than I'd actually intended to first night of the convention. So that kind of, you know, being just being able to bump into them uh, is great. But yeah, I mean, the main thing is just having you have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to say, yeah, I've got this thing or I can do this. If you've already got someplace that you're um, that you're published Definitely, you need to mention that. Hey, I'm, you know, I've got credits in these things, and um, and I'm interested in doing work for Paizo. And what will happen more often than not is they'll put your name on a list. And when when something comes available, then they can try you out. And usually, they'll try you out on something small, and then you'll build based on your performance for that. Main thing is when you get an assignment, complete it. That is the number one criticism that you hear from from publishers is. People who get really excited, get an assignment, and then don't follow through or don't follow up. Um, people, you know, you, you just, you know, people shoot themselves in the foot, unfortunately. 
That sounds crazy to get like a project from from a company and then like just not do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think that people get they. Uh, part of it is they get excited and you know they have this idea of what it's going to be and then they get the assignment and realize, oh wow, this is this is work and uh, they get intimidated and it shuts them down. I'm afraid. I have been told that you have done work with a company called Clockwork Gnome. What is that? Because I've literally never heard of that. Actually, it, it, it is a uh, it's a small, small publisher, third party publisher. Um, uh, they did a couple of, uh, um, of games of uh, products. Um, let's see. The, one, of the, one of the first ones that came out was um, called Finwicket's Bestiary uh, along the fairy path, which was a, a collection of monsters from the Fey realms. Uh, a couple of other what they called campaign cogs, which were little things that you could put in. They did a really cool one um, on a, a deity that was about, uh, it was basically a, a, a god of hunger and consumption called Morithal, with the god of ceaseless hunger or something like that. Um, and I did some editing on that one. And it turned out that the, the publisher was looking for somebody to do a, a book on a criminal organization mm-hmm. and wanted it to be somewhat different. And so uh, I, it, it's called uh, Rogues Gallery was the collection of, uh, was the line that that was part of. And I did the Cloven Hoof Syndicate, which was uh, a, a, this criminal organization that was kind of, uh, it, it was based on this demonic influence uh, combined with fairy influence. Basically, in his world, the fairy realms can float. They move around. And it just so happened that one of the fairy realms happened to pass through Abaddon. And became corrupted by demons, and then uh, then started bumping into other realms and taking them over. And eventually, they came to the the prime material to uh, get resources to fund their war against other fairy realms. And so, you've got this organization that's led by a satyr who is you know half demon. And um, I got to come up with all the different characters and their their mooks and their goals and all that kind of stuff. And it was a fun book. That, that sounds, sounds entertaining, actually. Cool. Now you wrote for <coughs> Savage Mojo too. That's Savage World setting, right? Um, yeah. Well, it's, it was actually I did I did design work for them. Um, they uh, did a Kickstarter a while back called uh, the Tomb of the Lich Queen. Uh, it was a mega dungeon. They needed uh, their their Pathfinder uh, rules guy it couldn't finish the project for some reason, and so they needed somebody to come in. Uh, and finish that up. And that was one of my very first freelance design pieces. Um, a friend of mine that, that knew me said, hey, I've got a friend that, that can do some design work. And so I, I was working. I took their manuscript and tried to finish out the encounters. And it was a very complicated dungeon. It's one of these things where they have a it's a random dungeon um, where you, you basically move from room to room and then the, the room, the, the rooms move. Um, oh, wow. Um, and well, so the idea was that you have these tiles and you basically slap down a tile and whatever tile shows up is the room <clears> that you end up. Um, uh, so it was a lot of puzzles and traps, and strange monsters all built around a, what was, you know, what was a, uh, uh, kind of a meta story as well. Uh, and, uh, that was the, the first one. They went on and uh, and did a couple of other ones after I was done with my portion of the project. You've mentioned a few, um, a few um, gaming industry terminology along the way, and I wanted to just clarify: what's the difference between a designer, developer, and writer? 
Okay, well, um, in the gaming parlance, I guess writer and designer a lot of times are very similar. Um, you know, when we do Wayfinder, we kind of break articles down. We have fiction, we have crunch, uh, we have fluff, um, and uh, and so I, I think most of us know what crunch is. Uh, fluff is and fiction are very similar, but basically the idea is that a writer in my mind, tends to be one that deals more with the world-building aspect of things, whereas a designer gets more involved with um, the rules and how the rules interact with the setting. Um, mm. as, a, as a freelancer for Paizo, you're going to be doing a little bit of both for the most part. Um, you can tell them what your preferences are, and they tend to make assignments based on what, you, what, the, what you're good at. So if you say that you're good at crunch, um, they'll give you a test you know, see how things work out. And then that will, you know, that you can do that. It's really not a, I mean, I just, as a matter of fact, Adam Daigle, who works at Paizo, um, you know, mentioned the other day uh, on his Facebook page about how uh, for a long time he was pegged as the, the, beat, the, the monster guy and how in a lot of ways that kind of hamstrung him uh, because he really wanted to do adventure stuff. And everybody saw him as the monster guy. And so he kept getting all these offers to do monsters and never really got any offers to do anything else. So, you know, self-identifying as one particular thing can be comfortable, but it isn't always the best for, for your career if you want to be able to do other stuff. Especially um, down the line when you're like, you might want to make a change or you're getting tired of the same scenery, but everybody's seen you as this thing you've pegged yourself as. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so, you know, I, I, I actually, I think I'm better at the world building stuff. Um, you know, I, I, but I like the, the rules thing. Um, I do, uh, I've got several monsters in, uh, the adventure path beast series. Um, I just recently was able to contribute some monsters to an upcoming product project, you know, and of course, as part of the campaign setting line and the, and, and the rules, uh, the player companion line as well, you're going to be doing, a little bit of storytelling and a little bit of rules as it is as well. So it's good to be familiar with both. So the writer does most of the, the, the prose texts kind of thing. Designer does more of the, the game development rules, rules based material. The developer is actually somebody that's usually in house inside the game, uh, the, the company. Um, and the developer takes what the writer turns over, uh, makes sure that it fits with Canon, makes sure that it, that the crunch is balanced for where it needs to be. You know, a lot of times they'll add things in or, or, you know, adjust things based on layout or word count or those kinds of things. You know, it could also be that they didn't tell you, but while, while you were working on it, somebody in-house decided that they wanted to make sure that something got included and they have to cut a section of your material to make sure something else gets in. And the developer is the one who writes that material. Paris, I've actually been told that you've done writing for kids and, and gaming for kids. Um, would you mind expanding on that? Sure. Um, yeah, that's my most recent project. Uh, the biggest of the most recents, I should say. I have, as mentioned before, I have twin daughters um, and I have been excited about bringing them into gaming um, ever since I knew I was going to have kids. It's been kind of a little bit of a passion project for me. And, and it really came along uh, around the time that the beginner box came out. Um, and I realized that Paizo had put Pathfinder rules out there that were designed for more of a beginner I loved the stuff that was coming out, all the adventures, but I realized looking at the shelf in my room of all the adventures that, you know, that I purchased over the years, that they, the content was getting older, uh, more mature. Yeah. And, and I couldn't set 
my kids down, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids down with any of these books without being worried that I was going to have to answer questions that I wasn't quite ready to answer, that kind of thing. So it occurred to me that, you know, that what we really needed was to have some content that was more along the lines of what got me into gaming. I mean, my parents didn't teach me to play role-playing games. You know, I stumbled onto it because somebody's parents weren't afraid to let their kid be exposed to this material. And so I wanted something out there that was kind of along those lines. Um, and there, there really wasn't any. If you look at a lot of the gaming material for kids that's coming out right now, while it's really, really awesome, um, a lot of it is aimed at younger kids, um, you know, the, the, the six, five, six, seven age range. And that's great. I think that's perfect. There are games that are suited for that. But when you get to the 10 through 12 age range, they're ready for more mature content, but not as mature as an adventure path from Paizo. So I'm, I'm looking to, to kind of fill that gap. But what really got me into it was um, my daughters are Girl Scouts. Had, there is, they actually, there, there's a, a guy um, in uh, Southern California named Gary Asselford. He's a game designer. And he created something called Dungeon Scouts. And it is a seminar that you can have your troop take where he runs a, an afternoon session of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition um, in a setting that he created and teaches them about role-playing games. And at the end, they get a badge for role-playing games. That, um, that's so cool. It was awesome. Uh, I got to participate. I got to play. That was one of the first times I played 5th edition, um, and I had a blast with it. But yeah, so I mean, and of course, the setting is, is designed to, uh, to teach some of the values and concepts that are you know, incorporated within Girl Scouts. So that was kind of cool too. Um, and just seeing him interact with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And it really reminded me uh, of this project that I had been working on for a while, kind of throwing some things around. I had said that I wanted to do these adventures for younger players when I was working with Clockwork Gnome and had started working on some adventures, but hadn't finished them. And the kids really loved it. They had such a good time that what we decided to do was have a daddy and daughter game day where dads came over, sat next to their kids, and we and I ran an adventure for whole group um, i want to do this for my daughter when she gets older it's a blast you know <laughs> that and, sounds and it, so great it, it was fun because you know first of all you know again our troop was more 11 to 13 age range um <laughs> which is a, a fun group and you know you think i don't know i don't know what i was expecting or why i was expecting different but i was amazed at how bloodthirsty our kids got um, it was something you should know. Little kids, yeah. especially little girls, are some bloodthirsty monsters. Oh man, it was vicious. I mean, the the adventure that I uh, that I wrote because, of course, I over prepare for adventures, kind of like the over creating for, for characters. Um, I had I had all these notes, and um, uh, the the adventure that I wrote, uh, one of the main villains is is a bunch of mites, and I don't know if you're familiar if you remember much about the mites, but they're like, everybody hates mites. Even all the other Fae hate mites. Um, they're just nasty, disgusting, crude little monsters. And the girls got into it. I mean, they were like, they wanted to chain one up and drag him behind a horse. And I mean, it was awful. Shit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, because they, they were trying to get information out of him. And of course, torture is the way to go, apparently. So, um, <laughs> so we had, to I, him in that. uh, <laughs> I remember a scenario where where we had to get information out of someone. We were on a boat, and I asked Brian because he was the DM, "Can we waterboard him?" And he was like, "What?" I'm like, "Yes, I want to put a sack over his head, tie it, and drop him in the ocean, and then pull him out." And he's like, "No, that's torture." I'm like, "The American government doesn't say it's torture." <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Where was I for this game? That's I don't horrible. think you were there for that scenario. That was not was... me. I did not run that. I swear to God, you were there though. <laughs> I I thought you were. I thought you were the DM. I that swear. Was probably one there. of the people who came up with the idea with you. <laughs> and then, so basically, I was just told, "No, you cannot waterboard the person. That's an evil act." End of story. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's perfect. Yeah. So it was kind of the same scenario here. I had to I had to rein him in a little bit, but I mean, they had a great time. Um, and at the end of it, you know, I kind of jokingly posted. I took a picture of the the stack of paper that I had. And, and I was like, you know, I did this preparation. And as a result, I have this 10,000 word adventure that I've written. And Jason Nelson from Legendary Games uh, sent me a message and he was like, well, do you want to publish it? And I said, that sounds awesome. And so that was the first uh, Legendary Beginnings adventure from Legendary Games. Uh, it's called Into the Fey Wield. And um, uh, it was also my, you know, aside from the Pathfinder Society scenario, it was my first published adventure. It, it did well. And Jason and I talked about it and he said, you know, I said, you know, I've got, I've got these other adventures that I've been working on uh, that are kind of, they're in the same setting and kind of in the same vein. They're still, you know, geared toward younger players and newer players. And, and I said, would you be interested in doing something with them? And he said, yeah, let's take a look at it. So uh, that was, uh, we ended up doing a, a Kickstarter for that. And what it is, is a, uh, uh, a five-part adventure path that takes characters from first through fifth level. Each adventure is a full level. I put sidebars in there for uh, giving advice to, to new new game masters, some advice to parents for, about running games for kids. You know, I kind of over-explain things. Um, that, no, that's good. If, if anybody's uh, for beginners, over-explaining is great for anybody who's just trying to get into it. Exactly. Information just gets sucked up really quick. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, different concepts that you don't really think about, um, you know, until you start running games for kids. You know, um, one of the things that I really like about about running games for younger players is that you can really be over the top and not be judged for it. You know, they want especially the you know, the younger they are, the bigger they want the characters to, be. Um, you know, they want the big, stupid orcs to sound like big, stupid orcs. You know, the ogre's supposed to be a bellowing dope. You know, those kinds of things. And, you know, you can stomp around the room and 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 they just, they eat it up. It's, you know, and then, of course, getting their feedback and figuring out how they think about things because they don't think like a, a an experienced gamer thinks. They don't overly game the situation. It's like, I want to try this and you got to go with it. And it can, you know, if you just let yourself have fun with it, it can be a blast. That's good. Because, you know, my daughter, like, like I said earlier, my daughter's about two years old right now. And I, I would really love to see how she would do with gaming and see if she would enjoy it as well. And something like this, I, I commend your work. In other words, I really do. Well, thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more. We've got a, a, a legendary games has another, uh, adventure from the legendary beginnings line that we're working on now, uh, that was written by, uh, Rachel Ventura. That, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to getting that out out the door here before too long and, uh, sharing it with the world. That's great. This has actually been really, really cool. I, I like a lot of the work you do. Like you said, you, you're you're in the Navy, and again, you know, thank you for that. Oh, it you. sounds like it, it's uh, your opportunity to travel is, is is great, and it sounds like the Navy's really given that to you. And it, it, you said you were a, a chief. No, I'm I'm actually a, a commander. You're oh, you're a commander. Oh wow, uh, I should be saluting you, sir. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not necessary. I work for you guys. Oh, you do? Okay. No, no, I mean, it, it really has been, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've managed to see some really amazing things in my first couple of years in the Navy. 
uh, I, I got to go to Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Hong Kong, all over Japan, Middle East. Uh, in subsequent years, I've been to Easter Island. I got to go to Petra. You know, I, I, just things that I never in my life thought that I would see in person. And, and being able to to add that into my gaming worlds is, is, is just great. Experience helps build worlds. Yes, it does. You know, I, I had a really great time talking to you today and, and all just everything that you've been able to do with your freelance work, your design work, all the credits you have with Paizo and starting the legendary beginning stuff with legendary games. That's really great. And I, I look forward to seeing a lot more from you because, you know, he said April, you're you're going to be retiring out. And I'm, I'm assuming you'll have a little bit more time to to go into other endeavors. And uh, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, but of course, you know, family does come first. I know that I know that better than some people. Anthony knows too. Brian, he he puts up with us. I have a niece. <laughs> Brian, I have a niece. Brian puts up with us. <laughs> no, I just love how he instantly goes, I have a niece. Like, I'm right there with you guys. I see like a month out of the year. It's cool. No. Okay. I'm going to let you guys in on a little something. After every podcast, after we record on Mondays, I have a standing appointment to call my niece on the phone and tutor her in math for an hour. Bam, oh, you're, you, Bam. you're a good uncle. No, you. this is in no way sarcastic. You're a good uncle. That is awesome, Brian. See, even the super vegan has a heart. What? <laughs> <laughs> the one that doesn't eat anything that causes harm to others. He has a heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So, but uh, I gotta say, you know, Paris, thanks for coming in and we've been doing we had we had like i said really great talks uh we'll definitely have to have you back on again and we'll have to talk in uh, more and to more extent about uh some na- about navy ships from all the way from sailing ships all the way up to modern carriers because i those are those are those ships are a real passion of mine i i love studying them and looking into them um i actually do i have went- to be in that episode Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, I actually got to go see the Midway a couple months ago with my wife because her uncle gets he gets tickets and everything like just just for walking on base anywhere. Guys are just like, hey, we got a ticket. We got some extra passes for the Midway. You want them? And he'll take them and he'll give them to us. And we, um, actually, we actually have a friend of the podcast who um, flew fighter jets. So we could do a whole military themed episode. I would be in on that because there are a lot of people that nerd out about military tech and tradition and everything. I would be in for that. But, uh, oh, but like what I was saying, I, we went on the midway and I, I geeked out. I loved it. I, I, I went through areas. I happily got lost in the belly of that ship and looked around while my wife was up there going, Hey, they're trying to close the ship. Could you like maybe come out? (laughs) And I was like, okay, let me find out where I'm at. And I'm like, that's the brig. That's the engine room. Okay, now this ladder might take me back. <laughs> nope, auxiliary command. Where am I now? <laughs> so it was. Yeah. It was. No, it's fun. easy to get lost. Oh, there, there. There's a reason why they call them floating cities. I I walked through the dentist's office. Oh, the fact that they actually make dentures on a rolling on a on a ship that's being rolled through waves is interesting. Well, I hate to stop you from geeking out because I know you can do it for hours, Michael. But I think it's time to um, do outros and wrap up. We have to we have to talk about our stuff. Oh yeah, we we do have to go. So yeah, we'll we'll save this more for uh, a more <laughs> military esque episode. And I, I would like to have you back on that one if we could, Paris. Well, that sounds great. So we'll we'll talk to you and then uh, we'll get we'll get a hold of Brian's contact that was a fighter pilot. So we'll, we'll she, go ahead and, uh, and and she's also a cartographer for gaming. That is awesome. really cool. 
Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about now, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's Anna <laughs> Meyer. I, I will I will shout her out. She is amazing. She's great. Okay. I, I've yeah. played several of her games. Oh, have you heard of Anna? Oh, absolutely. Who hasn't? Yeah, she, she plays in my home game every week. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've done a couple. I've done a couple scenarios with her, too. She's really cool. I, I like her. She's she's neat. So, yeah, she's a local. Yeah. Okay, I so, did not know that either. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, again, just recap. Great talk, and uh, I, I, I do want to know any upcoming projects, any anything to do this week, Anthony. Well, just maybe doing the prepping for the writing thing, but I do want to say this because I forgot to say it. My nerdy thing, I messed up. I messed up bad guys. <laughs> this last week, there was something way nerdier that I did than than writing a, a a prep thing. Me and my wife went to go see a WWE show in San Diego. Paris is talking about being in San Diego. Reminded me. So yeah. We watched. You know, we watched the big muscly men in in uh, tights. Hug did you each other. see? Did you see John Cena? We actually did. <laughs> no, you did. We saw John Cena. We saw. <laughs> no, we saw a thing with John Cena, AJ, and Dean Ambrose all kind of talking shit. <laughs> you can't see me. He didn't do that that time, so we I did think, actually see. But that's cool, though. So, yeah, so that's what we did. That's a good little addendum to the game. You still lost, but that was a good addendum. <laughs> I think I think I could have won if I had said that right the first if time. If you said it first, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, Brian, what about you? Well, my big thing this week is I have midterms for my history of photography class. The one you've been uh, loving so, so much and pouring into? I, I had told you guys before we were on the call that the only thing I was doing this week was that I'm not going to work on the podcast. I lied because um, this week I'm also going to be working on securing guests that I met at Santa Clarita Valley Comic Con. Ooh, I'm excited for that. And one of those guests was um, one of those um, potential guests is um, Jeffrey Ashley, <clears throat> the writer of a comic book graphic novel that's coming out called Frontiers. And oh, I, yeah. I mentioned it last week and I finally read it. Yeah. It is it I, I just want the graphic novel now. It hooked me. Um so completely honest critique when I first started reading it, the simplified art style threw me off. It is <gasps> black and white line art and it's very rough. And my original thought was it feels very indie. And it felt almost forced indie, but as I read it, that feel um enhanced it it had mm. it uses this black and white line art using color as emphasis and there's a lot of very bloody pages i would say it's very mature content but it made me laugh out loud like nine times uh oh, it had okay. a really high futuristic cyberpunk feel to it the first page of the comic reads my name is kieran murphy and i'm going to let you in on a secret i destroy humanity don't worry that's not a, as big a spoiler as you might think <laughs> oh that's a good sign wow <laughs> yeah it made me laugh i also have a couple of um shout outs i want to shout out to no direction a pathfinder podcast for um they promoted our episode 12 oh with so um, thank Eric? you very much to ryan and param at no direction um awesome thank they, you yes guys, you guys are awesome yeah, that was really cool. Um, <coughs> also, um, I just wanted to say that I mentioned the interview um, on No Direction with Keith Baker is actually on their 3.5 Private Sanctuary podcast. It was episode 215. So if you want to find the interview with Keith Baker and learn about the Eberron role-playing game and the Gloom card game, uh, just 
have a really cool interview into the industry. Check that out. Oh, for sure. And we'll, we'll definitely do that. And uh, uh, Paris, what do you got coming up? Well, uh, this week I will be working on another freelance deadline coming up, uh, I think, sometime middle of the week. Uh, I've got uh, development on another adventure. Uh, I still need to uh, finish up the guilty pleasure of my last season of uh, Penny Dreadful, which I've been told is horrible, but I have to watch it because Ava Green's in it. Um, I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. Aside from normal work stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, do you have you're, anything you want to plug? Yeah. Um, well, Even I mean, I, yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, there's there's a whole ton of stuff uh, coming out from uh, Legendary Games. They, you know, the, a lot of stuff that they do um, is a lot of stuff for Mythic support for your home games. Not a whole lot new right now for Legendary Beginnings, but definitely go check out MakeYourGameLegendary.com. Uh, a lot of cool things from from, from some really good writers. Uh, obviously, I don't. I mean, Paizo kind of inter- plugs themselves, but uh, you know, cool stuff coming out from them as well. Um, Strange Eons. I want to say uh, the next one coming out is the one that I've got uh, an ecology in it that you probably will find interesting. So you might want to take a look at that. Oh, cool. Um, sure. Yeah. I um, want to um, take your sh- your plug and also shout out to uh, Order of the Amber Die which is doing a, they're a gaming group that does marathon gaming sessions and they'll spend an entire, right now they're doing an experiment on strange eons and they're running um, all weekend each adventure path. So they're doing like 72 hours at a time and they're running each adventure path in one session. Whoa. Each each issue of the adventure path in one session. And they're using um, lots of, innovative gaming tools like a projector on the wall for handouts and um, fog machines in the miniature landscapes. Oh, wow. Ooh, um, so nice. if you haven't checked out order of the Amber die, check them out on Facebook. Oh, you know, you just, you reminded me, um, you're talking about the, the innovative uh, aspect of things. Um, I know, uh, uh, Sirenscape is is out there as one of the sound sets for uh, for a lot of Pathfinder games. Uh, there's another service uh, available called BattleBards.com that you should check out. One of the things that we're doing as a result of the Kickstarter is um, we're doing a soundboard uh, that the, the backers for the Kickstarter are going to get. I think it's like ten songs or ten soundtracks um, uh, from BattleBards.com. They're going to do a special soundboard with some of the um, art from Legendary Beginnings. Um, but it's a great service. It's you know. A lot wider music selection, a huge number of uh, sound effects. They have a whole bunch of like different languages. Like if you want someone's take on what draconic or abyssal languages sound like, um, you can go there and get a uh, an idea of, uh, of some stuff. Pretty cool service. I use Sirenscape awesome. and BattleBards. I, I I can't speak for my co-hosts, but they're awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, I've seen Sirenscape used, and it's it's pretty cool. I, 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 I watch to speak abyssal, and I need to learn how to speak it properly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's actually really cool. And, that, and, and you get ten tracks from uh, BattleBards for your setup if you uh, back the Kickstarter. Well, if you backed the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter was was gone a long time ago. But uh, but that was kind of where I got introduced to BattleBards.com. I hadn't okay. heard it prior to that. But they're right now they're coming out with a thing called BattleCast where. Um, you can actually uh, set up the, the system so that um, if you're playing games online, you can push the sounds to players in distant locations. Um, Ooh. So kind of cool. That would be there, great. 
the, 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 the both companies compete really fiercely because Sirenscape is working on something that like that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I nice. use both of them. Yeah. It, it's that's, nice to have variety. That's um, really awesome. Michael, what about you? Me. Hmm. Me. Well, actually, I need to get my, uh, I want to get my gaming stuff more organized because in the next few weeks, I want to get uh, gaming ready because I want to try and uh, do some, uh, I want to get on to get into some Pathfinder here in the next, I want to say, month, month and a half because I, I have to plan that far out with my family. More work and more prep because I think I, I'm getting really into this new, into my new novel idea for uh, right now, project name Honey Games. <laughs> I, for, I'm getting really into Honey Games. It, it's, it's, honey Games. Uh, so, spoiler, it's it's probably not going to, it's not, no, it's not going to be actual bees, but, it, you know, but we're going to call it the Honey Games. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's your blue harvest. Yeah. <laughs> So I just uh, it, those those couple things are really what I'm thinking is going to take up my time right now whenever I'm not, you know, trying to wrangle the kid in or spend time with my family because we, uh, we we got a pretty full house going on at the moment. So, um, you do have someone to plug. I do. You do. Our next guest. Oh, I do. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, yes. Next week, we're going to have another guest. His name is Sir Brandon Noel. He is the co-founder and current owner of a company called destiny comics and here they're venturing into a uh, a new graphic novel comic going in called those meddling kids it's a parody for scooby-doo where serial killers and and mobsters and con men they they escape from jail and they're coming after the kids and their cartoon cat who put them in jail it's Technically classified horror, horror comedy. It's going to be very good. His Kickstarter went live uh, as of this recording last week. They're, they need they need the backers. It's doing pretty good so far. I really want to see this project get made. He's a wonderful guy. He's going to come on, talk with us, have a good time, and uh, probably give us some more information on the project. It's, it's going to be wonderful. That's my plug for the week. Uh, check out the Kickstarter. We'll have a link for it in the description below. No, we sure will. We'll put it on the Facebook page and on SoundCloud. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna push that because I really want to see his project do well because this is a guy who is literally following his dream and it's it's awesome. So uh, otherwise, you know, what about contacts, guys? You know, Brian, where can they get you at? Uh, I'm available at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail dot com. Um, you could also reach out to me on the Facebook page and Twitter. All right, Anthony, what about you? Well, you can talk to me on the Facebook group. And the Twitter, that's the pretty Twitters? much the only two places that I'll that's probably the, respond to you. <laughs> what's the handle for the Twitters? Uh, Nerdcast Radio. At Nerdcast Radio? Yes, sir. That is Those great. And I think people know that there's an at. Oh, yeah, it's Twitter. <laughs> I, I just, Somebody's I, just I, like, I'm typing Nerdcast Radio, but nothing's coming up. <laughs> Somebody leads in, did you put at before it? <laughs> oh, screw you, Dave. <laughs> So, but if anybody wants to get hold of me, they can message me at mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com. I finally did it right the first time. Last two times I tried to send email, I was like, Mike at no dot at nerdcast thing stuff. But uh, Paris, if, uh, if, if you don't mind, anybody wants to, if anybody can uh, get a hold of you, see your work or anything uh, at all, is there anywhere they can reach you at? Uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can check me out at uh, Facebook, uh, pariscrenshaw.writer. Um, you can also take a look at uh, Legendary Beginnings on Facebook. 
um, as well as uh, as I said, uh, the Make Your Game Legendary is the Legendary Games uh, Make Your Game Make Your Game Legendary dot com uh, is Legendary Games website. And you can find you'll be able to find that information on on our Facebook page underneath this episode's post. All right, so I that'll be good. I got some stuff to check out here myself now, and again, it was great having you on the on the call, uh, hearing your story. We'll definitely have you again. And, you know, I've, well, I've been your host, Special well. Mikey, along with my co-host, Hindu Anthony. Goodbye, everybody. Super Vegan Brian. I don't know what to say. Bye. <laughs> Bye is a good place to start. And our honored guest, Paris Crenshaw. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a great time. Awesome. And this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. And as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay up. Hey, Anthony, say goodbye. Brian, cut him off. Yeah, I've been cut off. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be really funny if he didn't cut me off. He was like, I didn't. Up. Up. I didn't. I didn't cut you off. All this. Podcast